December 11, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 6. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are bright like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do, your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She is encouraging them to worship idols, eat food offered to idols, and commit sexual sin. I gave her time to repent, but she would not turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her upon a sickbed, and she will suffer greatly with all who commit adultery with her, unless they turn away from all their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them. Depths of Satan, really. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now wake up! Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is at the point of death. Your deeds are far from right in the sight of God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly, and turn to me again. Unless you do, I will come upon you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet, even in Sardis, there are some who have not soiled their garments with evil deeds. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Hello, and welcome to Transformation Radio. Today I'm your host, Wes Thompson. Happy uh, for you to listen in, and hopefully you're encouraged today. So welcome. Well, again, welcome to Transformation Radio. We are in part three of five, um, telling the story of the refuge. I hope you've enjoyed the last two segments. Um, We're going to try to start doing this pretty regularly where we 
just share a little bit more behind the scenes about what's going on, uh, where we've been, where we are, where we're headed, where we feel like uh, the ministry is going as a whole. You're going to get to hear from staff and and volunteers possibly. And we just want to take this opportunity to clue you in on uh, what's happening, hopefully encourage you, and just really excited about all of your growth. Um, we as a staff are continuing to strive to grow and be more like Christ and live this out the best way we can. So again, hope you find this encouraging and enjoy uh, part three of the story of the refuge. How did you, I mean, how did you support the, your, you know, our family? How did you, how did you pay, how did you pay the bills and even run this place? No kidding, Wes. One day I was released from what I had, an income stream. And the next day a guy called me from MacArthur, Jeff Fight, and said, we just had a position open up. I don't know if you're interested or if there's something here for you. And he didn't know I was released. The next day I had income. So here I am doing something totally different in Vinton County and the refuge. So it wasn't like I was just full-time. I had to, I had to do what I had to do to support so I'm doing youth build, which is helping young dropouts in school, giving, teaching them their GED during the day. And I'm running out there at night to help Fred and figure out what we're doing and on weekends. And I'm just trying to keep my head above water. But then I started using youth build. And the first guy there, Doug, refuge guy, actually had him sign up for the program. So I was with him all day. And so, so he literally started that. And we started to reach these other kids that were broken at youth build for six months. And we started to absolutely pour into these kids. And then the guys that kept coming would have testimonies in MacArthur. We got to use a church down there. I met a pastor and said, can I use your basement? And we would feed the kids and I'd have guys share testimony and their stories while the kids were there because it was off-site, off-premise, and they got free food. So it was just, I was trying everything I could to tie it all together and keep our head above water. And I was just going to the next open door. The real interesting thing in the refuge is, the refuge is not this thing that was on paper, a great business plan, and we figured out all the process. The refuge has been built, birthed, and truly brought based on the men. The men themselves form the refuge. They are the ones all the previous guys from the first guy all the way through are the guys that formed what the refuge is today. So it's always been the guys making decisions and sharing with us what works and what doesn't work. And we're just, we're just listening to them, serving them and doing what we're seeing that works with them. That that's been the, the journey. It's been relationally done, not just this, this uh, institutional feel it's been relationally let's figure it out together. Uh, and let's use the word of God as our, as our baseline. You know, that's going to be our truth. Yeah, that's good. So you start building some camaraderie. You start having some guys show up. You're just, you're literally just trying stuff um, through trial and error um, through your own experiences. And then, you know, and, and I assume then you start kind of figuring out some things that work, some things that don't work. You've got a track record of guys coming and going and, um, and then what? Some churches get behind it. You start getting some funding, but at that point, it's just—it's literally just donations and and uh, and there's like there's a handful of years of that, right? I mean, it's just years of. Oh yeah, my congregation, of course, which is myself and the guys are broke, <laughs> so there's no tithing, there's no there's no congregants to ask. So I have to go out every Sunday and ask the churches. And you got to understand, back then, 
addiction was a taboo for the church. It wasn't really understood or accepted. And they didn't understand why I was even doing it because alcohol, a little bit of crack cocaine and some cocaine was about it. It was no drug epidemic. It was no heroin fentanyl that was rampaging the, it wasn't, it was under the bridge and away from the church. So they looked at me like, what are you talking about? We don't have that stuff here. So, so yeah. It was, and it was kind of before mental health even became like a major category. You it know? was. So um, we were in the middle of pioneering every, I mean, it was, it was very much looked at like I was a cult in the woods and I was Jim. Jim. I mean, that was, yeah. It was a hard. lot of people were looking at, looking at the men and just kind of, not seeing people that had come from traumatic experiences or broken relationships, but looking at them and just saying, why don't they just go get a job? You know? Yes. There wasn't that a lot of compassion. Support I had. Yeah. That was, the, that was the support. Yeah. That's really helpful. So, but, but the interesting part again is we would be running low on food and a truck would show up and some guy, some country guy would come up and he would have food in the back of his truck. And he said, I don't know what you guys are doing here, but I, I just felt like I'm supposed to come over and give you a bunch of groceries. And that stuff happened. Like I can't even understand. I mean, it was, uh, it was incredible. And then we did some outreach and that was helpful because in MacArthur, we fed 500 families with the MacArthur outreach at church there with, with Mel down there. And, and that helped us because then, not only did we give food away, but then we got to keep some of it neat. So it, it was like God provided in so many different ways to just keep it all going. But here's the deal. We always went with the end in mind, meaning what's, what's it going to be when the guys leave? And we could not, it was not good at the beginning because, and it wasn't like we were working. You got to understand, we were in the middle of a farm doing praise and worship, doing Bible studies, praying a lot, doing a lot of spiritual disciplines. But there wasn't a lot of practicality to the, the ministry at that time. That's all it was. And all I'd say is some guys might be thinking, man, we, why do we work so much? What? Because when we didn't work and do the practicality of being able to be in the world, not of it, and be a productive person that would be a great witness, guys were falling off left and right because they didn't have a function outside of that little bubble in the middle of the woods. Yeah. You kind of you, you go from maybe maybe some of the the struggles and the chaos of your current life to then going into like a, a setting that's more of like a monastery. Yes. And then, and you're doing that for a long time and then you're just expecting, Hey, I'm going to go out back to the, back to a, 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 nor, a sense of normalcy in life. And, and, and that jump sounds like it would be pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. And it's typical of some, some of us, of course, struggle and go to the penal institutions and the same kind of thing. When you're in the institution, you know, the, the yeah. structure, you're okay, but when you're not, it's so that's what led us to walk with the guys because they were begging work. They're going, We are so bored to tears. We've been here for a year in the woods. Yeah. We, we need to do something. We're tired of these videos and teachings and God help us. And uh, I'm so like, No, let's. The guys, so for the guys and women listening now, would it have been kind of like phase one for 13 months? 13 months. Welcome yeah. to the ministry. You know, it. And and it was brutal based on the fact that you start to get a little stir crazy. I mean, based on no outside contact, no. Yeah. A little bit's probably an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the guys were leading towards let's do something and we started doing things. So we started businesses. We started a landscaping business. We started our own businesses, a chicken, a chicken um, catering business. So we started, um, what was the other thing? Carpet cleaning. 
So we were out here doing the problem with those entities where you couldn't build it big enough for a guy to all the men leaving didn't have an opportunity to have a job besides an internal business. And you'd have to keep growing it to keep giving them jobs. And the other thing was businesses are customer focused. So now we're all working together, but it's not about the men anymore. It's about the customer. And that, that becomes a conflict, a tension of, are we here for the men? Are we here for the customer? And so it started to shift to say, wait a minute, we're here for discipleship. We're here for the men. Yeah. So that's whenever the model of today started to erupt where it's like, wait a minute, maybe we're here to send them out to the marketplace and let that be on them to give them opportunities when they leave. This could be amazing. And then we still stay in relational connection as like, you know, spiritual father mentor type role and not an employer. So it started getting mixed between employer and, and it started to get to where, yeah, to where we can, to where internally we can focus literally on the care and the well being of the men and now the women as well. But instead of having to be like also an employer, that was it. Cause the heart was disciple making and loving the men and being there. And it wasn't about, you know, let's go build a big business together. That wasn't, that wasn't the purpose. Right. And so I know a lot's changed. Yeah. Cause it sounds like the needs of the, it was the needs of the men and the desires of them that led to that anyways. Um, but, it, you know, without going into all the details for the sake of time, um, you're getting into kind of how it evolved into what it is today. When, when was it that, that the work, the work, programming started it's it's it, it was a phone call i got a phone call from one of our board members of today greg Wells, and i sent a guy up there to work and greg called down and this is the guys that have come through like a 13-month phase one right and then i just sent him straight to work and greg called and he said tom can i share something with he said uh, i'm out here trying to do my calling which is serve my my employees my people and my customers and the guy you've sent up here, I don't know what you're doing, but can I tell you, he's hurting me in being able to build into my company because he comes in with a big Bible. He comes around prophesying all day and I just need somebody to work <laughs> because he's not earning any respect from yeah. all the guys that he's around. And it's really making your ministry look like what in the world yeah. so, so you may want to rethink that. And that's whenever this shift started because of the fruit, again, thinking with the end in mind, what is the, what, what is the best track to go? What is the best place to go to really produce a disciple of Christ, a real sold out witness that's not so religious that they can't connect to, 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 to the community. I mean, they've got to be able to be a great witness where they have respect and they, they built the character, uh, not religion. So that was, yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe how we could describe that is we've used, you know, and it's become kind of a catchphrase. Uh, it's become a popular word cliche, if you will, but you know, maybe, maybe we've worked on being a bit more holistic. So instead of, our religious practice only being uh, viewed as like a, a Bible study. That's the only, you know, that's the only place where I outlive my Christian faith, realizing that, no, if this thing is real, then like my faith can, can be present in anything I do. Yep. So my work, 
my work is informed by that. The way I interact with my friends is informed by the way I have fun and my hobbies and so on and so forth to where all of life then becomes like, you know, you know, I, I can, I can be a Christian in all that. It, it's not just uh, carrying around a, like a thick Bible and prophesying like, like the guy you mentioned was doing. Um, That's where it all shifted for me too, to, to look at the whole world as ministry, not just, not just what we were doing or the church. I mean, it's like, where's your calling out here in culture? What is your gifting? What's your passion? As long as you do it under the Lord. And then, you know, the Greek, Hebrew and all that good stuff. When you do some research on the meaning of work, it is worship. And so it started to broaden my understanding of what church culture can look like. And it's like, wow, we, we have an opportunity to go out here and make a difference in the world, in the marketplace where nobody's going to the buildings in some degree in some of these marketplaces and it's like, we can take it to them. And we do that by our work ethic and our attitude and, and how we treat people. We don't do it with a Bible thumping them. And so really starting to teach us how to go out and connect after the refuge. Um, That was about four years into it, Wes. We hope you enjoyed part three of the story of the refuge. We'll have part four on the next segment of transformation radio until then stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk soon.